This morning's reading is, we're starting in Amos chapter 7 from verse 1, and this can be found on page 921 in the Church Bibles. So it's Amos chapter 7 verse 1 to 8 verse 3. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer! Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock And said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country, and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing, 
many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we're standing. Gracious, loving God, thank you for your kindness to us, your patience with us. Thank you that you speak by your Holy Spirit through your word. And by your Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts now? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do please sit down. I want you to pause for a moment and just think, who is the most patient person that you know? Okay. Who is the most patient person that you know? Don't shout it out. How do you come to think of them as patient What are the things that you notice about them that mean, yeah, they're patient? I guess what you'd do is you'd first of all see there's something that might provoke them. But it's important that they're aware of what it is that might provoke them. So, for example, there might be a dog barking next door loudly. But if they can't hear it because the TV's on, you wouldn't say they were being patient. They just weren't aware of it. You wouldn't say they were patient. Or you might um, say they need to be patient because they really care about this thing. So you might be at a restaurant and there's a kid there drawing all over the tablecloth and the mum seems not to care in the slightest. And that's because it's fine. The, the restaurant's provided the paper tablecloths so you can draw on them. So doesn't really matter. Why would they care? And it's also you'd expect them to be able to do something about it. If you can't do anything about it, you'd say they were long-suffering, but you wouldn't say they were patient. So in other words, to be patient, you need to be able to, you need to care about it, you need to be aware of it, you need to be able to do something about it. Now, one of the most uh, striking declarations of who God is and how he describes himself in the Old Testament is that of a, uh, he says this, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger. That is, he is patient. But as we look out on the world out there, we might think, find it hard to think of our God as actually patient. We might be tempted to think that God isn't aware. So the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, or the migrant boat that sinks... Or Putin sending thousands of conscripts to their death and many Ukrainian men dying, defending their country. We might think that God has wound up the world like a clock and just lets it go along. He's not really aware of what's going on. 
And some go further and to say, well, of course, this is demonstration that there isn't a God there at all. It's not just he's not aware, there isn't a God there at all. Or you might say, well, actually, it's God doesn't really seem to care. And again, this is, I guess, in isolation. You look out on the world and think, does God really care about what's going on? Or maybe we might think, it might be that he cares, it might be that he's aware, but he can't really do anything. So he's powerless in that sense. He doesn't like what he sees, it grieves him, but he's unable. He's the kind of vicar of Dibley God, or the Father Ted deity. He's domesticated. So what's God got to say into this space? We're continuing our series in the book of Amos. I don't know if you remember from previous weeks, uh, the basic contours of what's going on with Amos. Maybe your first time here, so it's lovely to have you here. Or you're joining online, it's great to have you. Amos. He's a preacher coming from the south, the southern kingdom, that is Judah, to the northern kingdom, that is Israel. This isn't a kind of north-south rivalry, which is a little bit like, I think, Manchester United versus Liverpool this afternoon, maybe. That kind of, isn't that kind of, this is war rivalry, even stronger than that. So he comes from the south to the north. He's not a professional. He's a lay preacher. He's a dresser of sycamore fig trees and so on. And this northern kingdom has never had it so good. It's been a time of great prosperity, military prosperity, expanding the borders. The empire's been growing. They've never had it so good. There's a thriving cathedral in Bethel. There are lots of sacrifices. Religion is flourishing. But it's come at a cost. Do you remember the cost? The poor have been trampled. There's injustice everywhere. As Amos says, they've turned righteousness to bitterness and justice into poison. And the least, the last and the lost have been trampled underfoot. And the start of Amos, it says, these are the words that that, uh, the Lord showed Amos. In the first two chapters, he's in oracles against the nations. In the next four chapters, in chapters 3 through chapter 6, we've then seen oracles of judgment against Israel. And now we come to chapter 7 and verse 1. I don't know if you've got your Bibles open. I haven't got actually the page number in front of me. Who's got that page number for Amos chapter 7 and verse 1? How much? 921. You will need to have it open. If you've not got it open, you will need to have it open, please. Amos chapter 7 and verse 1. I said the other day, I love to hear the rustling of leaves. It begins, chapter 7, verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. This is the vision. Back to Amos 1 verse 1. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up. When they'd stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. 
How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. Now, usually in the Bible, when the Lord prepares something or fashions something, it's the picture of moulding clay, moulding humanity in Genesis 2. This is something really positive. But did you notice down here? He's preparing or fashioning swarms of locusts. God's good creation turned upside down. Now, I've just got my P-A-Y-E tax code through email. Do you get those things through the post or through email? It's just a gentle, friendly reminder that His Majesty's government takes the first fruits, takes a significant chunk, whether it's too much or too little, that's for each person to decide, but a significant chunk. And the king here was already taken, did you notice, the income tax. The king's share has already been taken. And then, do you see what happens? Now it's the second harvest, the kind of second crop. And God has fashioned some locusts. In August 2020, I don't know if you remember, most of us were uh, preoccupied with COVID. But if you go to East Africa, there was something which they were preoccupied with. Do you know what it was? Locusts. No, I was not surprised because we're talking about locusts. There was the worst plague for 70 years. Did you know that locusts can multiply 20 times in three, in three months? That you can have as many as 80 million locusts in one square kilometre. And those locusts can devour the food for 35,000 people. And in this vision, they did. At least, they would have done. Because Amos calls to the Lord in prayer. He says, what did he say? Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. And the Lord, it says, relented. This will not happen. And then we have another vision. Now I want you to look carefully. See if you notice the similarities when we get to this next vision. Okay, here we go. See if you can spot them, the similarities and differences. Verse 4. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. He dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. So the second vision, he's calling for judgment by fire. And this fire is a kind of cosmic picture. It devours the great deep. I guess it's the equivalent of a meteorite striking the planet and everything is turned upside down. And Amos cries out to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. Similarities, what did you notice? I'll try to give you a little clue here. One of them. It's a bit small, is it, for one or two 
This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. It begins the same way. Did you notice that? Did you also notice it's the same picture of the undoing of creation, like the fashioning of locusts and now the creation being turned upside down. It's a similar kind of situation. There's an event that's being described. Amos sees this event and he steps in and he cries out. How can Jacob survive? He is so small, very similar. Did you notice a slight difference? What Amos said, what didn't you notice? He changed from forgive, appealing to God's mercy, just stop. It's not, almost forgiveness is past. Just please stop. I know they deserve it, but please stop. And the Lord's response, what does he do? Same thing. He relents. So it's not that God is unaware, did you notice, of evil and injustice. It's not he doesn't exist. It's God that, not that God doesn't care. He's seen this evil and injustice that Amos has been condemning. It's God who prepares the swarm of locusts. It's God who prepares this great fire. It's, God that's, it's not that God is powerless either. In fact, the very opposite. God is precisely powerful, and it's that which causes Amos to intervene. No. The vision's pathographic picture of a God who is patient. Patient. He has every right to send these judgments, but he doesn't do so. Some of you might have an objection here, or maybe two objections. I don't know which objections you might have. I've got a couple up my sleeve, which I might have got for you. Some of you might say, how can God relent? Isn't that rather a fickle thing for God to do? Can't he make up his mind? Or you might even be a bit bolder than that and say, well, if judgment was never going to happen, why is God so cruel as to show a weapon to Amos that can only fire blanks? How do you say? What do you respond? You would say, absolutely crystal clear. God would have come in judgment, but he didn't. This isn't being fickle, because God doesn't change his action without reason. The key point is this. God chooses to act in his sovereign purposes in answer to Amos' prayers. An extraordinary thought. God chooses in his sovereignty to act in answer to Amos's prayers. Oh, well, you might say, okay, well, if that's the case, then it's not really that God is patient. It's that somehow God's arm was twisted by Amos behind his back and he kind of had to do it. But again, this doesn't fit with a wider picture of the law. The Bible says that God delights in mercy. Remember the father, he runs out to embrace the rebellious son. The Bible never says God delights in judgment. And you can see the, God's character and his nature from what Amos appeals to. Sovereign Lord, forgive. He appeals to God's mercy. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. He appeals to God's pity. That same pity that they're supposed to be shown to the least, the last, and the lost in the land. 
And then he appeals to God's power. Sovereign Lord, stop. Prayer is not, as Martin Luther said, overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's willingness. He's patient. The Lord relented. This will not happen either. But then it continues. Did you notice the visions don't end there? Verses 7 to 9. Again, see if you can spot similarities and differences, okay? You ready? This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built through to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I'll spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuary of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. So there's some similarities. Did you notice them? Begins with, this is what this is. he showed me, the sovereign Lord showed me, this is what he showed me. It's a dialogue between Amos and God. Do you notice that? But there's some differences, weren't there? What were they? Well, for one thing, previously it was an event, now it's an object that he sees. Now this time it's the Lord who speaks first, doesn't give Amos a chance to speak. The Lord speaks first and therefore there are no prayers. And then what's the Lord's response? I will spare them no longer. Do you notice that? Different response here. Some debate as to what actually the object is. It's been translated a plumb line since the Middle Ages. Some people think it's perhaps more likely to be tin, and therefore it's a play on words between tin and the anguished cry that comes at the end. But the key point is this. God has had enough. And then we head across, and I'm going to jump past chapter 7, verses 10 to 17 for a moment, to chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. So head across there in your eyes and look down to there. We'll come back to 7, 10 in a minute. Again, notice any similarities or differences. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. So again, did you notice many similarities? Begins what the sovereign Lord has showed me. It's again an object. And in fact, there's again a play on words between basket of summer fruit and the word for end. And it's the play that we have there. It's God who takes initiative. The judgment is focused on my people, Israel. And it's all about judgment on the temple, on religious activities. And again, there's no prayer. There's no holding back of judgment. I will spare them. No longer. Think back to your patient 
friend. Can you think of a time when your patient friend ran out of patience? Can you? I'm not seeing many nods here. You're struggling. Yes, you can. My dad, I think, is the most patient person that I know. He is an amazing man in every way. He's the most patient man. I still remember the day when there were three of us as boys. Three boys in the back of the car were traveling to visit my grandmother. And as typically three boys in the back of any car will say, there was arguments. Plenty of arguments. We even used to argue about how many miles we'd be spending sitting in the middle. And we'd have to be fair about how many miles we'd spend in the middle. And it was, the volume was going up, it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and eventually my dad pulled over, and he knew it was going to be trouble at that moment. And he pulled over, and he opened the door and said, get out. You know, that kind of, is it familiar for anyone else? Has this ever happened to you? I doubt it has, no, probably not. And then, in dismay, he kind of, oh, I'm not sure anger was the right word, but he he lost patience. He shut the door firmly, and then the back mirror just, the window, back window just caved in in shards of glass all over us. And you can imagine what the rest of the journey was like. But I still remember that day, but I still think he's the most extraordinarily patient person that I know. Because can patience truly be patience if anger never comes? It's like a parent saying to a naughty child, if you do that again, I'll get cross, but never, never, never does. The person who is incapable of anger is a moral coward, not a hero. A truly good person will suffer for a long time, but not forever. Eventually, her patience will be run out, exhausted, It was the poet Dryden who said, beware the fury of a patient man. The Bible says God is slow to anger. So it tells you he gets, it's slow, but it also tells you he gets angry. One day, God's patience Runs out. And I think that's where chapter 7, verses 10 to 17 fit in here. I would love to spend a whole sermon on this particular passage. It's so significant. But you've got this priest, Amaziah, who lays into Amos and says, Get out of here, you see it. Get out. He does it. He misrepresents what Amos says because he says, This is what Amos says, whereas actually the Lord's been speaking. He says that the accusation against Amos, that Amos is making is against Jeroboam himself, where in fact he said it was against his house. So he misrepresents what Amos is saying. And then there are also menaces. Can you feel a menace in his voice as the priest in Bethel? This is the king's sanctuary, veiled threat. This is cancel culture. Right here. We don't like what you're saying. So get off our campus. Get out of the public sphere, Kate Forbes. We don't want you in this public sphere. Get out. Go away. Go and prophesy your your bread in church in the south. Cancel culture here. This is to demonstrate how... 
When people don't want to hear and steadfastly block their ears to refuse what God is saying and say, we don't want to hear, get out of here. Well, you can see from what it says here, first of all, God's word still comes to pass. He still sticks with it. Amos stands firm with it. But God's word will prevail, but it's an indication if you try and suppress God's word, that one day God's patience will run out. And the extraordinary thing is this. This is exactly what happened. So in 722 BC, just as Amos said, Assyria swept through the northern kingdom and carted off the northern kingdom Israel, into exile. Unthinkable when Amos was speaking. God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. One day God's patience will run out. Or again, these words, because of course the northern kingdom was annexed, these words were then taken south to Judah, to the southern kingdom. They were kept in a book. In fact, did you notice that in these words in chapter 7 verses 10 to 17, it's that Amos is spoken of in the third person. It's not Amos himself speaking, it's someone reporting about Amos. These words are taken south to Judah. They were supposed to learn the lessons. Would they listen? Would they heed? Would they pay attention to what God was saying through this book? And answer? No. They too were ravaged by the Babylonians who swept through in 597 and 587 BC. God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. One day, God's patience will run out. Or well, do you remember the Lord Jesus? We might think, oh, this is just all angry talk. James is an angry prophet talking, an angry preacher speaking. Think of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember? As he From Luke 19, let me read some verses from there so you can see what I mean. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You refused your Messiah. You said, get out, we don't want to hear. God is slow to anger. He does get angry. And one day, God's patience will run out. Or again, do you remember in 2 Peter? 2 Peter? People were saying, where is this God who's supposed to be coming again? Where is he? Things are just carrying on as they've always carried on. You know, there are general elections, there are wars, there are earthquakes, there's people making money, people making business, people harvesting, people trading. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Same picture, God's slow 
to anger. He does get angry. One day, God's patience will run out. And so, what's the invitation to us? I think it's a simple one. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Three thoughts for you just as we're finishing. First one. If you're looking out on the world and thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I can keep believing in a God who allows this, 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 and you put whatever you might put in that space. The disasters, the oppression, the injustice. Remember Amos. God is being patient. One day his patience will run out. We can take comfort that he will right every wrong. He will wipe every tear from the eyes. One day justice will be done and will be seen to be done. So don't wait until it's too late if you're drifting away and feeling your grip on this God is going. Hold fast to him. He is patient. Here's the second thing. You're distressed by what you see. Don't you just love Amos? He is perhaps the fieriest of preachers in the Bible. His word seems to be unrelenting judgment. And you might think, well, I wouldn't like to have him for a dinner party or a supper party or go out for a meal with him or go for a walk with him. Because his message is so stark and clear. And yet, did you notice what he did when faced with those visions? What did he do? Sovereign Lord, forgive. Sovereign Lord, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. Unfortunately, too many of us as Christians in in our culture today are known for the shrill words and hard words of judgment but are we known for the tenderness of intercessory prayer and praying and loving for the people we're speaking firmly to that's what we should be known for that's what should characterize our hearts and our lives and our attitudes and the great thing is god delights to respond and to hear and answer our prayers. And then the third thing here. Maybe we might be here and we're thinking or watching online. We know, I know my life is not in line with what God has said and called me to do and to live and to be. Maybe that's you, maybe that's me. God is being amazingly patient with you and with me. We mustn't take this for granted. We mustn't wait until it's too late. We mustn't throw his love back in his face. Turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, sorry, Lord, that I've messed up and not lived my life according to what your word calls me to do. Thank you for dying for me. Please, by your spirit, come and take your home with me again. And I love this lovely, lovely picture from the Lord Jesus himself. Because we can see Jesus' tears in two places. I guess one, I think, um, metaphorically, not literally described like that. We can either see his tears of sadness that we keep turning our back against him. You've messed out, missed out. You've messed up. You've not responded. 
But you can also imagine, just like with a father, the tears of joy as he welcomes back those who come to turn to him and to trust him and to say, Lord, here I am. That's how much he cares. That's how much he loves. One day God's patience will run out and he says, don't wait till it's too late. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet to reflect. These are very sobering, striking words. We see how they finish with silence. In the silence of our heart, the silence of this moment, by your spirit, would you write whatever you'd have for each one of us on our hearts? If we pray in Jesus' name, amen.